Welcome to another edition of Faith Stories. Uh, it's good to see you here this morning. Hope you've had some good discussion about favorite summer traditions. Um, I am going to go ahead and get ready and introduce our speaker for the morning. Um, Chelsea Muller and her husband, Justin, have attended Faith Church since 2007. They have three sons, and they range in age from 7 to 11 years old. Um, she is a volunteer in the children's ministry here and um, has previously served on the global outreach team. Chelsea likes to travel and spend out time, out time, spend time outdoors with her boys, and she enjoys combining those things by visiting the national parks across the U.S. with her family. So I'm going to pray for Chelsea, and then she will get started. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for another beautiful summer morning. Um, just thank you for all your your many blessings um, that you shower down on us each day. Um, I thank you for Chelsea and her um, willingness to share her story, God. And I just uh, pray that you would be with her this morning as she presents and um, open our hearts and minds um, to hear how you've been at work in her life. Uh, thank you for this church, and um, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Welcome, Chelsea. Well, good morning. Um, when I agreed to share my faith story, I thought, okay, the next step is figuring out what faith story I'm going to share, because I feel like God has done so many things over the decades um, that I could probably spend 30 minutes talking about lots of great things that he has done. Um, so as I started praying about it, um, I, was, I felt like God was calling me to talk about being a working mom, which is not something that I initially, I was, I was hesitant to be honest. Um, because I thought, how many people will relate to that? Um, there could be a lot of people that um, can't relate to that. But as I started reflecting and going through my journey and thinking about my story, I really realized that being a working mom is just the vehicle through which God chose to teach me some lessons. And I think that those lessons will probably be relatable to others as well. At least that's what I hope. Um, so there's really two themes that I really want to share with you today. One is around being able to discern the difference between familial or cultural influences versus what God is actually saying. Um, and then the other, the other theme is just around having a faith that God has called you to do something and then being able to pursue that calling through faith. So as Pastor Joey would say, I have to start with the origin story. So I'm going to start with my origin story because it plays a big role in what I'm going to share today. Um, my mom was a NICU nurse when I was born. Um, she worked at the hospital. She had started her own leadership journey in the hospital. Um, and then my dad was an aircraft landing systems engineer, and he traveled a lot, um, which was a theme all through my growing up. Um, he always traveled, and I always, always knew that. It was just part of life. Um, I am the oldest of three. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And so initially, for the first couple years of my life, both parents were working. And my brother and I were cared for by a lady by the name of Aunt Susie, who was not any relationship at all, but she was a godly woman that we knew from church. And to this day, Aunt Susie still sends me faithfully a card every year on my birthday, tells me she's praying for me, and I get Christmas cards from her. So clearly having trustworthy, godly care was not an issue and probably not a factor in my mom's decision to stay at home. Um, so when I was somewhere around the age of three, she made the decision to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom. And the story goes that 
my parents both felt very important about having one of them stay home with us. And supposedly my dad said, if you're not interested in doing it, I will, because it is that important to me. Um, I love both of my parents dearly, but we're all glad that mom's the one that made that decision to stay home. <laughs> Um, so life growing up, um, I, I had a stay-at-home mom, that's what I knew. Um, that was a really core value to my family. It was something that we saw as an enabler to our family life and the way we grew up. And it was something that was, I would say, celebrated verbally. I mean, you know, we gave, my parents were very thankful that they were able to do that. Um, mom loved spending time with us. My, my mom would get really disappointed when the summer was drawing to an end because we were going back to school. And she would say, I don't want you to go back. I enjoy having you home. And when all day kindergarten became a thing, she said, I just can't imagine all day kindergarten. I like having you home with me. Um, so we knew this. Um, Mom cooked like 90% of our meals from scratch. Her big thing was homemade pies, which I'm really glad she taught me how to make a homemade pie crust. And I'm pretty sure Justin's really glad about that, too. Um, so the, these, <laughs> these were just the great things growing up. Um, our summers were spent traveling to, we would, every summer we would spend a day traveling to Lower Michigan, where we would pick cherries. And they had the most amazing cherry pitter at Layman's Orchard. I hope they still have it. Um, and you'd just watch this thing pit all these cherries in like two minutes. We would make cherry jam, peach jam. We'd put up green beans. And, and God knew I needed to learn how to freeze sweet corn before I married a farmer. Um, so we did that as well. Every afternoon when I would come home from school during the school year, mom was there. And mom would come up with creative snacks. And we would sit and we would visit about, visit, um, about our day. And I, I actually remember when I went off to college, I remember writing a letter to each of my parents and realizing as I was writing that letter that my mom really had been like my best friend for a lot of years. Um, and so, so we were just very close. Um, my dad was the stereotypical boomer generation that was very loyal to his job. We knew that. Um, dad worked long hours. We typically didn't eat supper till 7 o'clock because that's when dad got home. And when we got to high school, that often slid to 7.30, maybe sometimes even closer to 8. But it was just a family core value that we are going to eat dinner together and we're going to be together. Um, dad wasn't able to come to a lot of sporting events growing up because of work, but I didn't know any different. Mom was always there. And, um, and I never questioned why. I knew, that he, I knew that he was dedicated to his job. And for, for all of dad's hard work um, and the fact that he wasn't necessarily physically present all the time, um, he was far from an absentee dad. He was extremely involved. I remember when I was still at home, I remember he would call my mom almost daily at lunchtime to check in. When he traveled, he would faithfully come home, call home every night to see how we were doing. Um, we, we always laughed and said sometimes he was a little too involved. If we had a tough decision about like, what sport are we going to play this year? Dad would help us create a matrix and we would write out the pros and cons because yes, he's an engineer and that's how we make decisions. Um, so dad, dad was very involved and I, I never questioned, questioned that at all. Um, our family actually did not participate much in youth group growing up. We didn't do Obana. Um, and a lot of that was because my parents recognized, hey, if we, we don't, we don't get a lot of evening time as a family. That's very limited. Um, if we did that, that would take away from that. And for our family, we're going we're gonna to choose to spend those Wednesdays together. And I, I have this vivid memory of a schoolmate at one point um, 
criticizing the fact that we were not in church on Wednesdays. And I remember telling her, well, maybe my family's a little bit different than yours. And as I look back on that, that was really advice foreshadowing that I would need to give myself um, later in life. So all of these influences growing up um, really kind of shaped what I assumed was going to be, I'll call it my plan for my life. I just assumed that I would be a stay-at-home mom. That's what I knew. This was a core value. This was something important to our family. I would do that. I also would say, um, as I look back and think like those fifth or eighth grade years, when I think about God calling you to do something, my only image of God calling someone to do something was that God call, would call me to be a missionary. And I will admit to you, I had this guilty fear that he was going to call me to be a missionary in Africa where I would have to live with monkeys. And I just, that just did not appeal to me. Um, but that, that's just what I assumed, what we went when we said God calling. Um, I also believed that being a stay-at-home mom was this deep-rooted value that was somehow connected to being a Christian woman and a woman of faith, and that it was a demonstration of my commitment and my priorities to put family and God first. Um, so I, I had this just kind of belief in my head. And, and actually, I will tell you, when I went off to, I went, so I went to Purdue uh, to be an engineer. And my freshman year, they, Purdue does a wonderful job of giving you like a survey of all of the different engineering options that they have. And one of the options that was presented was this double major between pharmaceutical science and bioprocess engineering. And if you did this, it was going to take five years to complete the program, and it was like five full load years. That, like you, there was no way you were going to get it done in any shorter than five. And I actually remember as I, I was looking at this program and thinking, man, I think I would really love that. But if I'm going to get married and stay at home, is it really worth the extra time and money to spend on, an extra, on a fifth year? And the, this was actually the thought process that I remember going through. But um, all, en all, all the engineers make decisions based on data. So at that point in time, I thought to myself, well, I have never dated anybody. I'm not dating anybody currently. So I might have to be able to provide for myself. And I might as well enjoy it. So I'll go ahead and I'll enter this program. So I, I, I did decide to do the dual degree program. Ironically, um, and I'll share later how we met, Justin and I did meet at Purdue. and. We actually got married between years four and five. So I actually was married for the, the last year of college. Um, so, so I'll pivot at this point and talk a little bit about my development as a leader as well, because that, that plays a role in this. Um, I would say, like, through high school, I was a quiet leader. I was president of our horse and pony club for a few years. Um, I was very interested and capable of being a leader, but I would say I was also very timid. Um, there were some experiences that I had had that kind of caused me to lack some social confidence. Um, and so when I got to college, I was really determined to shape who I was and who I wanted to be. I wanted to shake off some of what I considered my past reputations, to kind of break out of, I considered my, the wallflower stereotype. I wanted to break out of that. Um, so I immediately got involved in Purdue student government. And it was through there that I met a mentor who really helped me see um, some of the leadership opportunities on campus. She really helped me see the potential that I had in myself and encouraged me um, to try different things. So I started attending some of Purdue's leadership um, conferences, some of the activities they had, and I actually started to receive some leadership awards 
at Purdue. And I have this, again, really vivid memory of laying in my college apartment one night after getting done with one of these leadership conferences. I'd received one of the awards there. And I remember reading a passage in scripture, I don't know what it was, um, and crying in bed because I felt like God was revealing to me and calling me to say, I have something bigger for you to do in regards to leadership, bigger than what you imagined and bigger than what you thought that you could do. So during this time in college, I felt like my faith was really growing. Um, interestingly, I was not involved in campus ministry. I went to church faithfully every Sunday, um, but I was not involved in anything like crew, navigators. All of my involvement was, um, I was very involved as, a, as in other things, but it was all student government and that type of activity. Um, but God was really working in my life and challenging me through some of the friends that I did have on campus and taking a faith that had been so core and so part of who I was growing up, but then challenging me and expanding my vision of what faith looked like and what obedient faith was. So um, my sophomore year, I ran for student body vice president and our ticket won. So my junior year of college, I served as the student body vice president, and that is when Justin also got elected a senator to, from, from the College of Agriculture. And to this day, it's a little bit of a joke because my engineering program was technically through the College of Ag, which meant that I got to vote for the senators from the College of Ag. And there were three that ran on the ticket that year, and I don't remember which two I voted for. So I really have no idea if I voted for him or not, but I'm glad that somebody did. Um, because by him winning, that is how we met, and we always would joke and say, the executive branch and the legislative branch, they shouldn't be commingling. We need to be careful about this. Um, so, but, but Justin and I, as we got to know each other, we found out we had a lot of core things um, that, that really drew us close very quickly. We had a lot of shared childhood experiences around 4-H, um, sweet corn, preserving food, and just spending family time together. Like family was clearly very important to us both, and that really brought us together. Um, so I mentioned we decided to get married between years four and five. Um, it, he was graduated, so he loved it because it was that first year that we were married. He got to live the campus life. A lot of his friends were still there, but he didn't have to study because he was done. It was great for him, not so great for me, but <laughs> married, being married was great. The studying part was not. The, state, the, the studying part was not. Um, so anyways, we, you know, when we talked about getting married, we would, I remember we talked a lot about having a lot of kids. Um, that was our intent. We, didn't, we really did not have any discussions that I can remember about careers or career dreams. Um, so I, I do remember during marriage counseling, um, the, I, rem I, I remember a piece of the conversation where we did talk about being, staying home with kids. And I remember our, the pastor that did our counseling um, stressing the importance of staying home to raise kids. And I remember saying, um, I'm really competitive and that's going to be hard for me. And you know, I don't fault him in any way, shape, or form for giving that advice. I believe that that's what he felt God speaking to him, and you know, and I, and I know that he loves God and follows God, so I don't fault him at all. Um, but I remember, I, I just see that as one of those points in my timeline of those influences, kind of helping shape where I was coming from and what I was believing. I, I also remember early on that phrase, a woman's place is in the home, echoing through my mind, and I, I don't even know where I heard that from. Like I couldn't tell you who said that or where I got that from, but it was there. It was in my head. 
Um, so Justin and I really never talked about any expectations for being a dual working household. And I, I really honestly think it's because we both, neither one of us assumed that we would do anything different from what we grew up with. So for me, I assumed I would stay home. For Justin, his mom started teaching when he was early elementary, and then that's all he knew growing up. His aunts, his grandma taught, all he knew were moms working outside the home. So I think we both just kind of assumed we would do what either of us knew, never realizing that um, we had different assumptions, actually. So uh, we were married about five years, and that's when I became pregnant with our oldest. And I remember asking Justin, like, sort of testing the waters, like, do, do you want me to stay home? And he was like, mm, no, not really. I mean, we kind of have these joking conversations. It never really got serious. Um, but I started wrestling with God at that moment, and I started feeling the mom guilt, the guilt that, hey, am I putting my own interests above my children's? Um, but I was also, I also noticed I didn't really feel like God was calling me to stay at home, and I was kind of surprised by that. But I continued to question this internally and really like question God, what is your plan, throughout that first year of Alistair's life, um, thinking, is this okay? And I was really afraid that I was pursuing my own interests above God's. Um, I really never felt like I got a lightning bolt answer from God that made it really clear what, that I was supposed to work or not. I often say I have two callings in my life. One is to raise boys. And I, I, I distinctly remember like feeling like God said to me, your job is going to be to raise boys. You are going to have all boys. Um, and that's really hard to argue with when you have three boys. So I don't feel like that takes any faith to believe. Like, there's really no faith to believe that. Um, I do feel like God has called me to be a working mom. Um, and I still, to this day, say I don't feel like he ever came through and had this really clear voice. I feel like I have to pursue that calling by faith. And so I really want to spend time sharing with you um, how I have came to that conclusion and the way God has spoken to me over the years. I, these are in no way meant to be like, hey, this is what scripture says. This is just how God has spoken to me. Um, so test it, you know, test it and don't, don't take it for gospel by any stretch. Um, so, you know, as I, I mentioned, as I wrestled with this, I, I began to search scriptures and see what does God really say about um, being a working mom. And so one of the things that I first was directed to was Genesis 2.20. Um, and so if you read the second part of Genesis 2.20, it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So in context, this is when Eve was created. Um, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And I thought, you know, I think it's interesting that when, in Genesis, when it talks about the creation of Eve, it doesn't actually say Eve was created to raise children or to only stay at home, even though I, I absolutely believe those are important things and I'm not discounting those. Um, but that really doesn't say why Eve was created. It says she was created to be a helper. And so I really began to dive deeper into what does that mean and what does that look like and what does it look like to be a helper to my Adam, my Justin. Um, so when we got married, I remember my mother-in-law, Jane, saying to me, Chelsea, the modern-day farm wife has two jobs. One is to provide health insurance, and the second is to buy the family vehicles. And I remember saying, great, because I can do that. Um, and, you know, there, 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 is, there is some value in that. Like, health insurance is, is 
is useful. Um, farmers don't have health insurance, so it is very nice that our family has that. Uh, and, you know, it is, everybody knows farming is cyclical and it is impacted by external factors that we can't always control. And so the fact that Justin can farm and pursue his livelihood and be happy um, doing that without worrying about whether the family is going to be impacted from year to year, that's a blessing too. And what I bring to the farm is I bring my corporate leadership experience and I'm able to invest in that way. Um, so we've, Justin and I have had many conversations over the years believing that, you know, I don't, I don't look like farm wives looked 100 years ago, but I, I do bring something and, and, I, and I might be able to help in that way. Um, I, well, for a short period of time, um, Justin and I lived outside of Indiana and there were, our pastor and his wife uh, became very close to us. And, she worked as well when her kids were growing up, and she's, she's a very godly woman, and that really helped serve as an inspiration to me to look, be able to look at her and say, you know what, she loves God so much, and I see it every day, and, and, and she worked. So maybe this isn't all bad. And I, and I had a conversation with her around just kind of future career options, and I remember one of the pieces of advice that she gave to me was, what's really important is that you and Justin are aligned. And so I really took that, advice to heart, and so we've, we've really worked to, to be um, prayerful and be aligned about the decisions. Uh, occasionally, I would, uh, I don't do this as often anymore, but occasionally I would early on ask Justin, like, are you still okay with me working? Is this still good? And he would always say, yes. <laughs> so, okay, okay, I'll stay. Um, as I continued to search scriptures, I came to Proverbs 31, and I'm going to read you Proverbs 31, 13 through 19, because we all grow up knowing Proverbs 31 is like the ideal woman. So I thought, well, I'm going to read that and see what that says. Um, so I, I centered in on verses 13 through 19, which I'm going to read to you. If you have your Bibles and you want to flip there, go ahead. Um, Proverbs 31, 13 through 19. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. And as I read those verses, I thought, um, clearly, this is a woman that is doing work that is not just at home. And I think it's interesting that when, if you actually go through and read the whole of Proverbs 31, um, it actually says a whole lot more about work that she's doing than direct work that she's doing with her kids and her home. And again, I'm not by any stretch saying that that's not important. I just thought this was, these were things that spoke to me. Um, and the last piece that I often would draw on is realizing, um, you know, Daniel was called to the marketplace. Daniel did not have a ministry, uh, you know, he, he did not, he, he was not um, centered in a specific ministry, missionary ministry. He was in the marketplace. And so if God called Daniel to the marketplace, why couldn't he call me there as well? So that, that brings me to my, my ministry, and I do believe that my ministry is in the marketplace. 
Um, the marketplace has changed a lot and is continuing to change. We see more women entering the workforce than we did previously. And I believe that women have brought a lot of positive influences to the workplace. I think one of them is around work-life balance. I mean, I described to you my dad's long, long working hours growing up. And when I look at my coworkers today, I think there is a much healthier um, work-life balance, although I, I hate the word work-life balance because it makes it sound like they're even and they never are. There's always one that's pulling and it's, it's going up and down. Um, so I, I, think, I think women have helped bring that um, and for men and women alike, you know, I see dads that I work with that leave to go coach t-ball or baseball or whatever and I, I think that's a healthy thing. It brings a lot of, women bring a lot of diversity of thought and style that I think is important. Um, I think that we've changed some of the workplace culture by bringing that and women need to be ministered and supported to as well and I, I see that as my role I love talking to new moms at work and saying how are you doing how are you making it if you need to grab coffee let me know I just had I had an intern just a couple of days ago say hey is this a good place for family balance I, I said, yeah grab, grab set up time let's grab a coffee and let's talk about that I'm happy to talk about that that's something important to her to think about as she um, thinks about entering the workforce someday. So on the one side, I've described to you searching scriptures, feeling what God's saying, uh, looking for how, how he's calling me, but on the other side of my shoulder was still that mom guilt that was screaming in my ear. And so I had to deal with that as well. And so some of the things that I really came to realize, number one, Jesus came to extinguish guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts us the Holy Spirit does not bring guilt. And when I explored each area that I was experiencing guilt, I realized that it was an expectation that I put on myself based on my own experiences, my own childhood, rather than something that necessarily God actually said. Um, so a few of those. I, I, I dealt early on with guilt over sending my kids to daycare. Uh, I had all of those memories of my own childhood that I described. and. I knew my kids weren't going to have those memories, but I soon realized that my kids also weren't going to know any different. They were going to know what they grew up with, and I also realized I'm raising three boys, so sitting and eating snacks and having good chats in the afternoon is probably not their idea of fun either. Um, so maybe, you know, they're, they're going to have good memories, but they're going to be different than mine, and that's okay. Uh, and, you know, and even now, you know, my two oldest, oldest boys still have best friends that they made from daycare that they're still best friends with to this day. When I pick my boys up from the Boys and Girls Club after school, they get mad if I pick them up too early. So they, they're enjoying these things. They, they're, they're having a happy childhood. I also had um, really experienced the guilt of not being with them and thinking, am I shirking my responsibility? Is it my responsibility to be with them and I'm not doing this? Um, but, you know, I, I also kind of had this moment when I was on the global outreach team where I realized that, you know, there are sometimes some missionary families will have to will choose to send their kids to a boarding school so that they can remain on the missionary field. And I, I know that's not common. It's not that all of them are doing that. But occasionally that happens. And I thought, well, if, if that happens and they need to do that to remain on the field, is it Maybe it's okay if my kids go to daycare for a few hours so that I can remain doing my ministry. 
Um, you know, I, I, along with that, I talk about guilt of not being with them. There's that guilt that I'm not doing my job. It's like my job to raise them as a mom. But I, I learned that I have to have faith that God is working in them even when I'm not there. And I also realize, like, I'm a sinner. I have lots of biases, lots of, lots of sinful tendencies. And if they're with me all the time, they're going to get one view. Whereas when I allow other people to spend that time in their lives, they actually get a more, I believe, a more perfect view of what God looks like because they see the strengths and the gifts of other people and not just me. That last one is, I'll, I'll be honest, um, sometimes I, I have this guilt that I don't want to admit um, that I really like my job. I really like what I'm doing. And I would often think, <laughs> I know, and I would often think, am I just trying to convince myself that God has called me to the marketplace because I just want to do what I want to do? Is that what this is all about? And then I realized, um, you know, God is a God of loving kindness. And why wouldn't he call us to do something that we enjoy? They don't have to be mutually exclusive. And he created us with strengths because he wants us to use them. I also think, you know, working does require sacrifice and it's not always easy. And so the fact that I can enjoy it is what allows me to get through those moments um, and make it worthwhile. So, all of these moments I've described to you, searching the scriptures, dealing with the guilt, um, I, the, the, the guilt is not quite, a, quite what it was. I mean, thankfully, God, God, has, God has evolved me over, over time, and I've, I've learned to have that faith in him. But those moments have all spanned over years, and sometimes I have to revisit for some assurance that I'm still in God's calling. I, like, I do like to test it. I think it's important to say, God, is this still what you're calling me to do, especially since I'm having to do this by faith. There has never been a lightning bolt answer. Um, but I, ha I do have a really godly aunt who has provided a lot of wisdom in those moments over the years. And one of the conversations that she and I have had before is, if I were to do something different, would I actually be called to do something different or would I be running away from something because it's hard or uncomfortable or because I'm afraid that I'm doing something wrong? And that's been, that's been really convicting for me to think about as well. And that's reassured me, no, this is, this is where God's called me to be. Um, she has also reminded me at times, you know, Chelsea, I think you're here for such a time as this. And when she has given me that advice, um, it's been amazing to look back a few months later and see how right she was. So these are the small assurances that he's placed before me, um, that I continue to walk by faith in those. So I, I want to close by just sharing some of the practical side of being a working mom and what that looks like and how, how we just make it work. For anybody out there that's trying to make it work, and this, this probably doesn't apply just to working mom, this could help any working parent. Um, so early on, I had to come to the realization that also that like working parents are not bad parents. Um, good parenting is good parenting. Bad parenting is bad parenting, no matter how much time a day you do or don't spend with your kids. And I came to that realization, but it also made me, I also began to appreciate that um, I have fewer hours in a day that I actually spend with my kids, which means I'm extremely intentional about every moment. I'm very structured. Um, the boys and Justin would probably tell you sometimes too structured, um, but we'll roll with it. <laughs> I love looking for teaching moments at every opportunity. I I'll turn everything into a teaching moment. This spring, uh, we had 
I had a lot of fun leveraging the newest Mandalorian season to teach the kids about creed, the difference between relationship and religion, um, and just looking for those little things. We also, like the fact that we live in Zionsville was a very practical decision. I told Justin, look, if we're gonna both work and um, twice a year he plants and harvests and days are very, very long, I said that this is gonna work. I need every school and every school activity within three miles of the house. And so that is why we are there and it's beautiful. I tell him often, thank you, this is how I survive. Um, you know, we also, I just plain try to maximize time together and set a lot of healthy boundaries. So. I have, some of you have heard me say, like, even as I was, uh, as, a, as a kid, we didn't do Wednesday night stuff. We still don't do Awana on Wednesdays. And I will sometimes jokingly, but sometimes half seriously say, if I had to get home from work, get my kids fed, and get us to church on Wednesday evenings, we would probably be doing more sinning than sanctification in our house. So <clears throat> we still memorize verses as a family, but we do not try to race to church and be there. Um, we really try hard to have dinner together every night um, and hold that family core value. And then I really look at my time as theirs. I, I, I acknowledge that, yeah, I, you know, yes, I believe God's called me to work, but I also acknowledge like this is a choice. And if I'm making that choice, then it also means I have to sacrifice other things. So I don't do much socially. Um, when I do, I, I mentioned this aunt that gives me great wisdom, like, I am so thankful we get together like two or three times a year, just the two of us, and it's eight o'clock at night. Kids are in bed or close to it, and that's when we get together. Um, I will say one thing that I learned is that as much as sacrificing that time, I believe, is important for the kids, I also do need to fill my own cup. Um, and so last year I was able to participate in the small group mentoring that Michelle and Jenny and Jill did. And that, that was such a huge um, feeding for my soul that I needed. Um, and, and, and it was a good reminder that I, have, I do need to find that balance and, and do make time for that as well. I also really make it a priority that if I'm going to volunteer, my volunteer hours are with them. So... I love teaching Sunday school, but I'll make sure that I teach, and I teach in a classroom where they're at, and that's more time spent with them, influencing them. You know, it's volunteering at their swim club and volunteering to go on their field trips where it's, it's killing two birds with one stone. There's also a lot of creativity. Um, I mentioned, you know, it, so interestingly, you know, for, I was so close to my mom growing up and, and still very close. My family is very close. But it's now my dad that I have a tendency to pull on as a role model and for what he did. Um, I look at the way he parented, even though he was working. And it gives me a lot of creativity to think how I'm going to do things with, with my kids today. You know, teacher, conference calls with teachers are a lot of times over the phone or via email. And I have been known when we have like a family book that we're reading at night and I have to travel, I will take it with me and I will read it to them over the phone occasionally so they're still hearing mom and still getting that story time at night. Um, we have a family tradition where we divide up all the house activities and everybody has a role in cleaning the house. It usually takes us about two weeks to make the full loop through and then we go get ice cream together or donuts or whatever it, whatever it is. And it just, it's a way for us to be able to learn that work hard, play hard concept. Uh, I, the other one that's been really hard and 
I still struggle with this one, is learning to cook differently. Because when your mom makes everything from scratch, like that's just what I thought I needed to do too, but it's, it's really impossible to work a full day and make things from scratch. Um, so I, I'm, I'm still, Justin's laughing over there because we still have moments where he'll be like, why did you try to do that? Why did you stay up so late making that? Like we would have been happy with rotisserie chicken from Costco. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm getting better, I'm getting better slowly. The last thing that I really wish that I um, would have realized 10 years ago, but I'm, I'm, I'm thankful God's teaching me now. It's not too late. I'm glad he's teaching me, is really learning to embrace seasons and really realizing like this is a season. Um, I wish that I would have, as the, you know, as the boys were born, I wish I would learn to do less and be still more. I'm not hardwired to do that. I'm hardwired to be as easy and go, so this is hard, but I am constantly reminding myself to just embrace this season and do less. And, you know, that I keep referring to my aunt. You know, she would tell me when my kids were really young, she'd say, you think your kids need you now, but they're really going to need you when they're older. And I never understood what she meant. I, I was always confused by that until about a year or two ago when I realized my kids really do. They're, it, they're at that point where they're asking questions. They need that moral support, not just somebody to hand them a cup of water. And I'm the one that needs to do that. And so making time, making time and making sure that they're the priority now. So whether you call it cultural expectations or whether you call it you know, doing what you know just because that's what you know, this is not where I expected to be today. Um, but I also believe that there were, when you read the scriptures, there were 12 men who left everything that they'd grown up with and everything they knew and everything they expected to be. And they went and they followed Jesus through faith. And so, Lord willing, that's what I'm going to continue to do too.